Good morning. Um, I got my watch up. <laughs> no, probably not now. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking the worship team looked really cooler than they used to, but I think it's the lighting. <laughs> it, it could be Jack's eyes one, but I think it's the lighting. <laughs> Maybe it's DJ's new haircut. I'm trying to, trying to figure out why they look. Um, I'm at a weird place right now. Um, I've known probably what I'm going to speak about for a week, which is highly uncommon for me. Um, so I told my wife I wasn't going to let that get in the way of speaking, though. So, um, <laughs> there's a lot of lead to this. Um, you know, some of them are a little bit more dramatic and theatric uh, <laughs> than the others. Um, those are a little bit more of a setup, and I'm okay setting you guys up. Um, a little bit. Um, let me just uh, <laughs> I, I <laughs> you sure in the the tie, the white shirt? No, no, right behind you. What's your name? You mind standing up? I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but um, I, I think the worship stuff to say to you. Um, I have no idea what it is yet. I'm just gonna wait. <laughs> See the shining light on you. Um, I, you know, I, some people call me prophetic. I, I really call myself, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, Holy Spirit uh, compelled. You know, <laughs> some people can't stop washing their hands. I, I, I can't stop sometimes saying the things I think are in my heart. That's just really the honest truth. Uh, but I keep on seeing you like a. Um, it's like you're running all four legs of a relay race. The Lord says you're just entering the third leg of the relay race. Uh, there's, there's just change coming. There's a, there's a shift of pace. You're getting another wind. Um, some of the things in life that have just kind of been getting in the way, like some of the stuff in life that's been holding you back, some of the stuff in life that's, you know, that's just, you, you don't know what to do with. Like this Lord saying, he's, he's, he's going to give you a, not a second wind, a third wind. You know, it's not even the finish. The fourth one will come. I just feel the Lord saying you're on the third leg of a relay race. I just feel the Lord saying there's grace coming in finances. There's grace coming in direction. There's grace coming in figuring out what to do. There's grace coming in relationships. And the God says there's grace coming for you just to be before him to figure out who you are. You're just in a place now where you know enough to know. You don't really know who you are before God. And God says there's just grace coming for you to just, just have a fresh wind to find out who you are before God. I feel the Lord saying he's going to be speaking to you in ways that you haven't heard him in a long time. He's just, he's just putting hope in your heart you haven't had in a long time. He's giving you just a sense of grace and newness. You know, for the, all the things that you've been carrying your whole life, you're just kind of, I don't know if it's going to fall away, but they're certainly falling to his shoulders. You know, just, be, just be grace to just have clarity of mind, to decide what's going on, who you, who you are, what you want to do, what you want to pray for, the direction you know, things need to go. I just feel this grace for all those things. Uh, it's not because it's easy, it's just because it's, it's been hard. And I just feel Lord saying that there's, there's just grace coming. So I just speak it into you. Grace, grace, grace. Um, I just, amen. Um, what's your name? <laughs> Aaron? Um, I can see you, so I won't make you stand up. <laughs> I used to tell people I made them stand up because you know I wanted them to be as uncomfortable as me, but, but now I'm not like that anymore. 
Now I have people stand up so I actually see them better. But, um, Uh, I, I see weird things. It's just the way it works. Um, <laughs> and then the, I just get... It's, it's, I see the Holy Spirit moving on your brain, Aaron. Um, and it's like... Um, it's like the Holy Spirit moves in different ways in different parts of your brain. Uh, and I see this. It's the Holy Spirit. It's this bright yellow cloud on the left side of your brain and this bright blue cloud on the right side of your brain. It's like the Holy Spirit uh, comes and he gets, there's a calling in your I'll say it this way. There's a calling in your life to see order. You see a mess and you're like, oh, you can see the order that can come. You can see someone who may be a mess and you might see the order that can come. Um, you know, and, and it's God. It's clarity. It's great clarity. Um, you know, but then I would also see the Holy Spirit gives you like just this creative inspiration the Holy Spirit brings to you. There's this need to create, to act, to express that almost to do it, there's no apparent order. It's just you just need to express. You need to act. You need to start and find out what comes out of it. You know, and I just get the sense in different seasons of your life, there's been different, uh, one, of the, one or other of those, not the Holy Spirit, but your brain. You know, one or other, those hemispheres responding to the Holy Spirit has been dominant. You know, there's been times of a lot of order and times where it seems like a lot of chaos. I just feel the Lord saying, I don't know if there's any easiest things in this, but I feel the Lord saying that you're made for both. You're made for, for order, for expression, made for creativity. You're made to, you know, to, 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 to sometimes come after creative mess and put it into order. Um, and and you, I don't, I feel the Lord's clearly saying you don't have the luxury of writing off either of those things. You know, I just feel freedom that, that just what the season is and what the moment is, that you can do it, not worry about the fact that you, this isn't what you were doing before, this isn't what you're always like. But I feel the Lord saying you're like him. You're like, God does one thing one moment, does another thing enough. He never changes, but he's never doing the same thing. You know, I just feel the Lord saying that you're like that. And, and if the creative expression doesn't come out, it's, it won't be, it'll be like you're not really breathing. But, you know, if the order doesn't come, you know, be like, you know, that part of you doesn't, doesn't, doesn't act in the authority that God has given you to set things in order. Um, and, and if there's any, I don't know if it's divine counsel in it, maybe it's just personal advice. Um, you know, I, I would say this is, is, you know, things will come in the right season. They really will. They really will. You know, it's not your job to be consistent. It's not your job to be understandable, really. It's not your job to be explainable. Your job is to be his daughter. You know, and there's a mystery in that, that not only do others don't get, there's mystery in that, that to yourself. You know, so I just want to speak freedom. I, and here's the thing, is, is I just feel like there, there's great ability in you, so there's pressure sometimes to do the things you've done before, to be like you've been in other moments. And I just want to speak freedom. You know, that it's your job to respond to what the Holy Spirit's putting on you in the moment. Maybe you can clean the mess, but maybe it's your job to make it worse <laughs> in the moment. Maybe it, you could be creative, but maybe it is your job to, you know, to see divine order. And I, I know I'm, I'm over, just for my own sake, to communicate, I'm over, I'm over characterizing this. But I, I just feel freedom, you know, for you to go back and forth. You know, do something for a while, and the Holy Spirit lifts the burden, you just stop and you go do something else. I, I just seek freedom for that. You know, I, I just keep on seeing, um, like, there's this, 
It's not that there's not stuff beyond it, but when you're 50, there'll be such a creative flow, and there'll be such divine order in your life, that so much of the stuff between when you were a little kid and when you're 50 will make so much sense. It's almost like, you know, I, I have no idea, really, you know, really where the creative flow, you know, the, the arena of that. But there's almost, why, God, is, there's just like this a Grandma Moses anointing. There's this time where it's, it's all going to be in sync, you know, and for a while, it's, it's just, it's not going to be in perfect sync. You know, it, it'll, it'll be in sync for a while, and then you feel like you're oscillating. I just want to say that. Don't feel bad. Don't feel obligated, you know. And don't even worry about when you feel confused. Because if when confusion isn't when you can feel his presence. Some people think confusion is like, oh, God's with me. I have no idea what's going on. I'm confused. That is not confusion. It's being with him in the mystery of following him. Confusion is when you can't find him. You know. And so I, I just want to break the lie that, that there's been confusion on your life when there hasn't been. There, sure, there's been moments of confusion, but certain moments you, you weren't confused. You, you were in the midst of the Holy Spirit, you know, and you had no idea what he was doing. That's not confusion. That's mystery. I just want to speak relief. Relief. I want to break regret off of you. Things that you started that you didn't finish that you regret not finishing. The Lord says it's his job to bring finishing to your life. You know, it's his job. He, he, I feel the Lord saying this really strongly. He has put things on you and he's lifted them off. He's put them on you and he's lifted them off. And you think that you failed because you didn't finish certain things. I just want to break that lie off. You know, I think there'll, there'll be a little bit more, it'll be easier and there'll be more peace to it when you feel, when you realize that it's not your job to finish the things that he's lifted his, he's lifted his hand off. Um, so I just feel there'll be a time for everything to be finished. Everything you started, it will get finished. It'll just be in his time. I just want to speak that over you. So. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't feel any other divine compulsion, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll close my eyes and I won't, maybe I won't see any. Um, <laughs> Except for this. <laughs> um, what's your name? Yes. Kathy. Um, I just feel, I, I see a lot of burdens on your heart. Burdens for people, burdens for situations, you know, even burdens for stuff you're going through. You know, I, I just want you to know the Lord, He just sees all your burdens. He sees them. Finances. That, that squeeze you, that you don't say anything, you know, even to those who are with you, <laughs> you, just, you just hold on to it. I just forward saying he sees it. He sees it. There are people who won't say anything and they complain in their heart. That's not you. That's not you. I, I, maybe you complain out loud. I, I don't know that. But I will say this. The Lord says, when you hold on to something, it's not because you're complaining internally. God says, you're, you're holding it to him. I just forward saying that. I, I just want to, I don't know how it works, I just release intimacy. So when you're bearing these burdens, you know he's there with you. There are people you pray for. There's been people you pray for for 20 years. Family members you've been praying for for 20 years. I just see the Lord just picking up, I don't know how it works, like, I don't think you write these things down, but, but it's like there's a list in your heart, and he's looking at it and seeing these names, and he's, 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 he's drawing his attention to the people who are in your heart. I just, I just want to see that comfort, that he's there and he's drawing his comfort. He's just drawing his attention to the people that are on your heart. Uh, I really do think there's a season coming. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I really don't. You know, I don't issue weird proclamations. We're in the season now of reconciliation of family issues. I, I don't, but I just feel for you and for whatever's going on in the earth that, that he is going to bring some change to the family members that you've been praying for, the people who are so dear to your heart you've been praying for. Uh, I just want to speak that. 
Um, and I, I just I see a shift coming to, to the. Um, I just watched this movie the other day, Rango, where they're, they're squeezing off the water to control the animals in the desert, you know, you know, and, and they have to fight through. The, I just feel like the Lord's shift in financial dynamics in your lives, or however, you know, just just He's changing financial dynamics. I, I, I believe it'll be better. I know it'll be, it will be better, and there'll be a higher flow, but it'll be different flow too. You know, I know sometimes when things shift, it seems hard. And, and, and before they get done shifting, you don't know where it's going to come from. But I feel the same. He's shifting finances. So I just release just a, a, not just a bigger flow of finances, but a different flow. Because it's almost like how finances flow. It's, it's like it, it pulls you in ways that draw your attention from God. I feel like the Lord wants to shift finances. So not only there's greater finances, but somehow so how finances come, it, it draws just your attention more to God. I don't say that remotely as a rebuke. I just see him shifting finances. And so I, I just I just speak a release of that, release of finances, but in a different way. So it just, it comes in a way that it's, I don't know, I just feel, <laughs> I probably give people a hard time when they say things like that, you know, but how finances have been coming, is, it's, it's not just tired, like the finances are tired, but how it's coming is tired. I feel worse than he wants to change that. Uh, but I just feel worse saying that he just sees all the burdens on your heart. He sees them all. Um, and I, I feel him holding them up. You know, and saying, you know, just like, I don't know, like the, there was a time when he said, okay, you know, the Israel's been crying, I, I'm going to send Moses and, and I, you know, to Egypt, you know, because because of the cries. And I feel worse than he, there's just a season coming responding to the cries of your heart. I just speak really to that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I want to talk, um, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if I'm preaching or teaching or whatever. I, I want to talk to you about <laughs> something. Um, I want to talk to you about how to be in the best place, to have the best relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, I've had some wild, wild, crazy encounters. Some of them I'm embarrassed to talk about because there's, there's ecstasy involved just with the Holy Spirit, just because how intense and awesome it was. And some of them I'm embarrassed to talk about because how strange and weird they were. Um, and... Um, I am sort of dramatically setting you up for something, but I just want to be honest. Um, I, I've encountered God in many, many ways, uh, in strange ways. I, I really have. I can remember being a kid and talking to light in my room and knowing it was the Holy Spirit only like weeks later. Like I had this great conversation with this bright light in my room. I think that was the Holy Spirit. Um, I've had an encounter where the Lord took my hand and stuck it in his side, and I felt his ribs. And I cannot talk about it without feeling his ribs on my fingers. Um, I've had the Lord talk to me um, audibly in weird ways, calling my name to catch my attention. Um, I've had the Lord shake me and wake me out of my sleep. You know, like, wake up, and you know, I hear him, feel him shake me, and I wake up shaking. I've had a lot of encounters. Um, I, I've been in moments of... of what I will call revelatory ecstasy, where I could almost look at everybody in the room and, and not only tell them what their name was, but tell them what they were thinking, what happened five years ago. I've had moments, um, it's just the weird stuff, you know. I can clearly hear my dog talking to me, you know. Um, it's not very edifying things like, why don't you love me? Because <laughs> you're a dog. <laughs> You know, just just clear. You know, that's on the weirder. I, you know, and that's not that's God opening my ears. You know, um, not that He's speaking through the dog. He's opening my ears to my dog. Weird stuff. Um, I will kid you not. I've had conversations with mountains. Um, I've had conversations with the Lord while He's talking to the mountain to me at the same time. 
I've had encounters with people in heaven. Um, well, I'm not sure if I'm up there or they're down here. Um, you know, so, um, and I want to share with you, you know, I know this is, I feel like telling tell you these things. I want to show you what I have found to be the most profound way to have intimate communion with the Lord. Um, I'm not promoting all those things as these are the ways you have profound encounters with the Lord. I am not. I have found most of my ecstatic encounters with the Lord, by and large, are not for me. Most of my ecstatic encounters, by and large, are for other people, for the body of Christ, it's for my calling, it's for my ministry, it's for my anointing. Very few of those things have been for me. Uh, some of them have, but, but very few of them. I, I want to share with you what I found to be the most profound way to have real relationship with the Lord. And it's probably what I would call the most emotionally scary thing to engage with God on. Um, so I, I, I'm not promoting <laughs> something that's easy, necessarily anything that's fun, but I just want to share the truth of how to have intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit in a way that, that's deeply profound. Um, I, I do, I am setting you off, I just want to be honest, that, hey, that was a hall of setup. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it sort of is all that set up. I, I want to I've been debating where, the, where, where to start with this, but I think I'll start with here. Um, we'll just start with um, Jesus, when he was walking on the earth, um, was, was preparing the disciples for him not being here um, you know, on the earth. And, and so he kept on saying things like this, right? Um, I will ask the Father and another comforter or another counsel he will give you, right? That he may remain with you forever. I mean, Jesus was setting up the church to encounter him after he ascended. All right? and he says that in John 14. Uh, he says something very similar in John 15, um, where, where what he says is, um, But when has come the Counselor or the Comforter, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth from whom the Father goes forth, he will bear witness concerning me. Right, so he, again, and he says it again in John 16. So here's a sequence of things where Jesus is setting up disciples for the role of the Holy Spirit, the encounter of the Holy Spirit, the nature of the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit, in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and saying truth to you that it's powerful for you that I should go away, for if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's setting us up for relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I want you to notice a thread through here. Actually, in the Greek, he keeps calling it paraclete. Call it Holy Spirit paraclete. Um, he's speaking functionally, because paraclete can be, can be translated as counselor. Um, also can be translated as comforter, or, or as advocate. So there's this advocate on your behalf, there's this counselor on your behalf, and there's this comforter on your behalf. Now, I have been involved in and around prophetic ministry probably for probably close to 20 years now. I was 19 years old when God spoke to me on a football field and told me he wanted me to go into ministry. Since then, I've been trying to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it has been crazy, it has been wild, it has been heartbreaking, it has been insane. We've crossed the coast multiple times. Um, both Nims and I are married because God spoke to us. You know, what? Spoke to me. We're married to each other, because God spoke to us, yes. <laughs> Just in case that's my wife, we're married to each other. She heard first. 
But we got engaged when I heard. About, about five seconds afterwards. Um, I've seen I've seen people healed from AIDS. Um, you know, I've seen sprained ankles healed. Um, I've seen direction given to leaders of movements where they change everything they're doing based on a prophetic word that I gave them that I wasn't planning on them like actually acting on. Um, you know, I, I've just seen the Holy Spirit do lots of things in lots of different ways. Uh, and I find it very, very, very interesting seeing the Holy Spirit do numerous things. It gifts galore. You know, evangelism, all sorts of things. In divine encounters, healings, just wild things the Holy Spirit does. That the Holy, Jesus is described in the Holy Spirit mainly as comforter and counselor. Mainly as comforter and counselor. And it's a very weird paradox if you're around you know, any, any remote part of the charismatic church as, as a large, or the prophetic movement, or even the Pentecostal movement, that these movements that are kind of based on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moving, and self, self-defining them based on the fact the Holy Spirit does stuff, that the main description, in fact, the only main heads up Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is counselor and comforter. Yes, lead you on all truth. There's, there's this making known things in truth. But the main dis- repeating description he's giving is counselor and comforter. It's really interesting. There's some things that are implied. Engaging in prophecy. You're not engaging in the main nature of the Holy Spirit personally when you're prophesying. Then you're helping fulfill the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You're engaged in the function of the Holy Spirit. You're in cooperation you know, with the, <laughs> the testimony of Jesus. All those things are awesome and good and great and right. But the Holy Spirit's relationship to you is not defined by prophecy, not defined by healing, not defined by evangelism, not defined by any of the gifts. The Holy Spirit's main role to you is defined by comforter and counselor. And that tells you something. It tells you, for you to personally engage with the Holy Spirit, it's probably going to be in the area of comfort and counsel. <clears throat> now Jesus said some other things. Not as blatant about the Holy Spirit, but I think it sets us up in good place to have good relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, and this is from Matthew 5. Now if you're familiar with Scripture, you're going to say, hey, that's the attitude. <clears throat> I'd make a very bad grammatical joke about you know, what are the Beatitudes? <laughs> what is the attitude you're supposed to be? <laughs> the Beatitudes, um, which is fairly literally true. Um, <clears throat> what I find interesting about the Beatitudes, okay, Jesus, you know, right? Um, I will start in verse 2. Having opened his mouth, he taught them, saying, I'm reading from a literal translation, so um, I find it very interesting. You know, the key to him teaching was, was opening his mouth. Um, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. 
Now I want to stop there, okay? Because before he gets the pure in heart, all of these things are areas of lack. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry and thirsty. I think he's telling us part of our role between us and God. Now, I was at a church out in Chicago a while back. I had no idea what I was going to speak. And I get out and words I want you to teach them how to mourn. Oh, that's great. I don't know how to mourn. You know, it's like, well, you know, blessed are those who mourn. So they should be comforted. The Lord was telling me the key to being comforted was to mourn. It seems really simple. But the key to comforting, being comforted is to mourn. Now, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit coming as counselor or comforter. So, one of the prime roles of the Holy Spirit, the, the introductory roles that we had, and Jesus is setting us on a blind date with the Holy Spirit. You haven't met him yet? He's a really good guy. Now, I know I'm loving, but I'm setting you up with somebody else. You know, he's the comforter. His main description of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And here we have, but even before that, on, on the Mount, Jesus is talking about, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I will tell you this. My suspicion is, if you do not mourn, you do not get comforted. Okay, he's, he's telling us how to get comfort. He's telling us we need to mourn to get comforted. Alright? Um, now, if the main job of the Holy Spirit is to bring comfort, and the main way we engage with comfort is to mourn, and it's really important as the bride of Christ that we know how to mourn. Because if we're not mourning, then we're not in a place where we can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and find misery. I'm not telling you to go find things to mourn about. Now, I am telling you that sufficient within you is enough stuff. You probably haven't mourned yet. That it probably explains all of what you want the Holy Spirit to comfort you in. The comfort that you want in the Holy Spirit is probably wholly explained in the areas that you've not yet mourned. Um, now, <clears throat> I have been haunted. Um, that's a really good description. <laughs> um, by Isaiah 51, uh, 3, for the last at least a year. It has been haunting me. I had a dream this morning that I went to get a tattoo, and um, and uh, this guy was doing it in his living room or something. He said, oh, I'm all set. Well, he hasn't designed anything. I don't want to write it on me. So do somebody else. He's doing something else. Like, what tattoo should I get? And I said, really, really clearly, again, Isaiah 51.3. But I'm not planning any red jewel tattoo. I just want to know that. <laughs> Mainly, I want my wife to know that. <clears throat> not that she would be upset. I'm just saying. Um, because he's just written it on this. And I want to read this for you, okay? For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wildernesses like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Now, when the Lord spoke this to me, I've been meditating on this. Almost day and night, and in my sleep for a year. Um, 
Because all of a sudden I missed the key to encountering the Lord. Because it tells us where he's coming. He's coming to bring comfort. Right, and of course he's talking about Zion. He's talking about Israel, but he's also talking about the people of the Lord. And I believe he's talking about us as well. Um, adopted into the inheritance of Zion. He's coming to bring comfort, but he's coming to visit us as in the waste places. Okay? The waste places is where he's coming. Now, what I have found personally is usually when I'm not encountering him, it's not because he hasn't come to visit me. It's because I'm avoiding the waste places. Because they are no fun. Now, it's not too hard to think about what the waste places might look like, what they might mean, what they are. Those are the places that we've written off because either we have no hope for them, we think it's stuff that could never be used, we think it's stuff that would be better be forgotten, or it's stuff too painful or uncomfortable to engage in or dwell on or think about. This is the stuff that's wasted. It's barren, it's dry, it's a desert, and it's a wilderness. It's, it's unordered. Right. But this is where he comes. He comes to the waste places. The Holy Spirit's defined as the comforter. Jesus is often defined as the redeemer. And he comes to redeem. What does he come to redeem? He comes to redeem the things that are yet unredeemed. I'm not talking about the fact that you're not saved and going to heaven. Some of you might not be. Many of you are. Maybe all of you are. I'm not talking about that. When I get saved, Israel's Redeemer has just begun. But he's still looking to redeem. What does he redeem? Now, I grew up about a quarter mile from uh, my grandfather and my uncle's farm, my, on my mom's side. And um, if you drove out <laughs> across from the barnyard to the field across, that, like, they, there's all this rocky where they can't, they can't graze, they can't plow, they can't grow anything. And what's there is like 300-year-old farm equipment, or 200-year-old farm equipment. Honestly. I had an ancestor in the French Indian War, and they've been leaving broken farm equipment in that rocky place, right? It's a waste place. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> steam-powered tractor, you know, that's so rusted through you could never use it. Right? It's stuff that, that's been replaced. It's stuff that, you know, it, it's just stuff that doesn't work any longer. Lots of iron, actually, you can melt down now. But <laughs> that didn't melt down iron. You just left it in the, you know, along the stony path out to the, to the where the real that, That's a waste place. Stuff that just, there's no hope of ever effectively using it. There's no anticipated way you think that stuff will ever be used. That's a waste place. Um, failure, where you've screwed up. It's a waste place. If you look through Scripture, God visits waste places, and he does some wild, awesome things. The Holy Spirit looks to hover in brood over waste places. How do we know that? Just look at Genesis. Right? Oh, there was a mess. Oh, I'm sorry. There was chaos and darkness over the face of the deep. What does the Holy Spirit do? It broods over that spot. So what? So God speaks light. He brings order. You know, and then that, you know, it's pretty well in order. And then, you know, man's in the garden, which man do, man sins. God comes, right? He comes, which man do, where we hide. Well, these are some of the signs of waste places. Genesis 3 8. 
And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Hid themselves. He and his wife in the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Shame, failure, fear, these are great signals to find your waste places. Typically, right? Hopelessness, declaration and belief of uselessness, agony, right? Adam and Eve have made bad foes or hiding behind the tree because they're afraid of the presence of the Lord. That is the waste place, and he comes and he finds them there. Right? And he sets into motion a many thousand year track for redemption for that. Now, I don't know what would happen if they were a little bit more off. Okay, I screwed up. I don't want to wear clothes. I want to be naked before you. I can't say what would happen, but I do know this. That option is available to me today. To stand before God naked. I wish I could tell you that you could go back even before that where they stood before God naked and they weren't ashamed. I will tell you what it feels like to have God visit your waste places. He comes and you'll want to respond like Adam and Eve. I need to hide. I need to cover up. There's no, there's no good here. He shouldn't see this. Now, we're not as simple as Adam and Eve. We do not wholesale, typically, just there's moments where we do, but it's unusual for Christians trying to follow God to completely run away from God. No, we don't do that. We designate internal parts of us that are good and are best for it. We designate internal parts of us that are our waste places. We put our best foot forward and say, God, this is what I want you to see. We take that other foot and we put it back as far and say, God, do not look here. Do not bring this up. Don't cause me to even think about this stuff. Because it's not fun. Because there's pain, there's failure, there's, there's murder of agony. There's things that when you think about, it doesn't lead to anything good. There's things when you try and do it, it, it just gets worse. There are embarrassing moments that you never want to revisit again. And often you're doing well. Right? Things are going well. Things are working out. You're functional in some areas. There's progress. You know, there's all sorts of areas of success. This is when you're in the place where you're least likely to be intimate with God. Because you're trying to be in the places that you know you're doing stuff well. And according to Isaiah 51.3, where is he coming to visit you? He's trying to visit you in the waste place. That horrible thing that happened to you in third grade. Right? Um, you know, the, the, the failed relationships. In the last year, I've gone through agonizing it, you know, <laughs> what I would call a, a, a business divorce. You know, with someone who decided not only did he want to be, be in ministry with me, you know, he decided he didn't want to know me anymore. Agony and pain. It's not fun to think about. You know, trying to fix it just makes it worse. Trying to communicate it, you get, you, get, you get worse responses than you had before you tried, you know, to be honest and, and tried to articulate. You know, just, just pain and pain and agony and a sense of futility. It's not even like, hey, if I go into this stuff, I can fix it. My experience is, if I go and try and fix this stuff, I can only make it worse. But here's the dilemma. 
This is where the Holy Spirit comes to visit us. The rest is an overflow. Or it may be for somebody else. God may empower you in anointing and ministry in very, very awesome and sweet ways that you can minister on his behalf or with him to someone else. But I'm talking about encountering the Holy Spirit, encountering God in an intimate, personal way. He comes and he visits the waste places. This is where he comes to make himself known to you, to make you known to him, and to make you known to himself. And I, don't, I do not know a way to grow in intimacy with God without letting him visit the waste places. I don't do a lot of counseling, really. I don't do divine counsel. You know, I have a guy coming to me once a week for counseling. I just want to feel better. It's like, oh, you're coming to the wrong person. It is going to be my goal for you to find your waste places and wait for God to come there. And I'm not going to help you get out of them till God shows up. It's going to be extremely uncomfortable. But I don't know a better way to be a real person than to encounter God in the waste place. I do not. I do not. I've been advocating, you know, when you go at your worst, you know, this is a great moment to ask God, hey, what do you think about me now? I just screwed up worse than I screwed up in 10 years. What do you say about me now? I just did that thing I told you I'd never do again. What do you say about me now? I just messed someone else relationally in a way I was trying to do it, but it really went bad. What do you say about me now? I feel more helpless than I've ever felt. God, what do you say about me? If you ask that question honestly, I will tell you this. It is scary. Right? I believe we ask him, he responds, sometimes audibly, but very rarely does he speak audibly to me. You know, or to anybody. Most times he speaks in a still quiet voice. Knowing there's going to be a still quiet voice response to asking that question in your worst moments, it is scary. And it's probably no scarier than Adam and Eve, other than they've never been there before, so maybe it's scarier for them. But it's very of the same essence of Adam and Eve hearing the Lord come to speak with them and then wanting to run and to hide. Let me go do something well and then come talk to you, Lord. Let me get my happy place and then I will worship you. Let me think of the good things that I've done, and then I'll talk to you. Let me get in the right mode to engage with you, God. And what I'm telling you, if you want intimacy, there is no better mode than being in your worst place. Because that's where he's going. All right. We see this with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, not just you know, reviled by the Israelites as a traitor because he was a tax collector, but by his own admission, he was a corrupt and oppressive tax collector to his own people. He was using the oppression of the Romans over the Israelites to make himself wealthy by adding to the oppression over his own people. And so when he went encounter the Lord, where did he went out to meet the Lord? Why? Because the Lord would never go to his house. would never ever go to his house. Why? Because that's where he kept the books. That's where he kept the money. That's where he spent the money that he oppressed the Israelites with on his parties and whatever he was doing. All the signs of everything he was doing wrong was in his house. His wealth was not a sign that God said it was on him. It was a sign that he was a traitor to his own people. But he in his heart, he longed to see God and he went out to find God. Did he look for prominence in the crowd? No! Because the crowd hated him. Because he didn't think he deserved to be in the front of the crowd. 
You know, and Zacchaeus being a wee little man, I know this because I went to Sunday school for many, many years. He was a wee little man indeed. He climbed up into a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. Who was he even saying, the Lord, I, you know, I'm too short to encounter God. So even in his physical stature, he went up to a tree so he could see God. The Lord thinks, what are we doing up in the tree? I'm going to your house. I'm visiting you in what you're most ashamed of. I'm going to your house. Now, you may think that was an honor, and it was an honor, but for Zacchaeus, it wasn't something he would even imagine. When God visited him in his house, in the midst of the wrath, right, that portrays, that, that proclaims how selfish and greedy and corrupt he was, right, he made things right before God. He encountered God. I don't know I don't know, up till Zacchaeus in the Gospels, anybody knew Jesus' love as much as Zacchaeus. Mary Magdalene, maybe. The woman caught in adultery later? Yeah. But they knew Jesus' love. Why? Because he encountered God in their worst place. The woman caught in adultery? She wasn't just committing adultery, she was caught and, and publicly displayed. I don't know what she was more concerned about. Being stoned? Or the shame and the embarrassment of her sin being you know, displayed publicly. Being an introvert, I would have taken being stoned over being exposed like that. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and yet, in her worst place, Jesus shows up. And in her worst place, Jesus not condemned. In her worst place, Jesus casts away, chases away, drives away, right stuff in the sand that scares the living snot at everybody, so that she has no accusers. She knew Jesus loved her. She knew the grace and the forgiveness of God in ways. I don't think the disciples knew. Are you with me? Oh, so she could get saved. No! Salvation is easy. Knowing the fullness of the love of the Father. It's hard. Now, salvation can be hard. I'm not saying that. But it is not done, salvation. He is not content to save you. He wants you to know the fullness of his love in the places that least believe it. He's not saying, you know enough to get saved, Mitch, you're all set. Just go out there and work. You know, I'll see you at the last day. Just keep on working, you know. Don't worry about the fact you don't feel fully loved. Don't worry about the fact that you still fill in areas. Don't worry about the fact you, you, you feel like you're not good at it. Just work. You know, and when the day of the Lord comes, you can come in and I'll say, well done. He's not content for that, Right? The Lord wants Mitch to know that he is completely loved in the places where he feels less lovely. This is the Holy Spirit that we have. I want to tell you this because as you engage in the Holy Spirit, while you are trying to often engage in great moments in the Holy Spirit and feel really good and do successful things in the power of the anointing, the Holy Spirit is actively trying to get around the curtain and say, this is where I'm visiting you. I want you to know I love you here. I know I can prophesy through you. You know, I know that I can worship through you. You know, I know that you can save the lost. But you yet do not know how much I love you. You do not think I could love this. You do not think I could redeem this. You do not think I could use this. Because you have determined these things are all garbage. Like God is a recycler. He picks through your garbage and says, this is not garbage. Is gold in what you've deemed worthless and the waste place. 
And it's so rich. It is rich. In your failure, there's richness of relationship. In your failure, the richness of relationship with God is so sweet that in the moment of realizing how much love that you have, you won't even care that he changes your failure to success. And he will, but you will not care. Because you will be so ecstatically feeling that you are loved. Wow, what if I knew you loved me this much when I am in this bad of a place? That will tell me some purpose. Now, you cannot manipulate him. <laughs> you know, and doing things on purpose is not the same as just trying as hard as you can to do well and feel like a failure nonetheless and still knowing you love him. I'm just saying that some of the worst agonies you can experience relationally when you encounter the Lord loving you in that place, they feel more than worth it. This is what the Holy Spirit's after. I think this is the prime role of the Holy Spirit to let you know you're loved in this place. And I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to leave you alone. I just want to tell you that. The Holy Spirit will not leave you alone. The Holy Spirit is looking to let you know because he wants you to confess your sins. No! Yes, he wants to confess your sins. He wants you to know that you're loved in the place that you've sinned. He's just desperate to do this. He is desperate to do this. You know, and I tell you, modern Christianity, you know, even, I'm not even telling you about the people without the Holy Spirit, the people who don't believe in the Holy Spirit, the people who aren't, have live, vibrant lives. What I'm saying to the degree that you have any sort of success and any sort of sense of things working out well, the inclination is to only repeat those things that feel good. It only makes sense to repeat the things that seem to work good, that seem that feel good, but God is looking to redeem their waste places. Stuff that's been done to you, stuff that you've done, stuff that's failed, stuff that was shame and agony and embarrassment and nakedness. Um, this is where he's looking to have a relationship with you. This is where you can be fully known and you know that you can be fully loved. There's an aspect of the Holy Spirit that's actively engaged um, in perfect love, casting out all fear. You know what perfect love does? It finds where all the fear is, and it goes to cast it out. Do you know what it feels like when all fear gets cast out of you? It does not feel pleasant. Because as the perfect love is coming, the all fear freaks out. It freaks out. It's putting fig leaves on itself. It's hiding in the trees. It is running, it is scared, it is panicking because it knows its days are numbered and it knows it cannot hide when the perfect love of the Holy Spirit shows up to comfort your entire being. Now, am I there? No. <laughs> well, that's what I want to be because I know if I can receive perfect love, I can minister in perfect love. And I know I do not minister in perfect love. You know, Even if my only goal is to minister, I know enough now that I need to seek perfect love love in my waste places. Now, I'm not saying go get in a bad mood. Don't worry. They will come along. Feel bad. Don't worry about trying to feel bad. That will come along too. What I'm saying is when stuff comes up or when you mess up or when you're in the worst place and you feel futile, do not try and leave there quickly. Stay and say, God, I know you're coming to visit me here. What do you say about me when I'm here? Because you will hear things of intimacy and sweetness and love that you cannot hear anyplace else. Why? Because you wouldn't believe it because you know that part over there doesn't hear it yet. That secret feeling, if your friends only knew everything that you thought, they would think less of you. 
We inherently feel that about God. And so the only way to dispel that is in the moment of thinking those things to say, hey God, you see what I'm thinking? What do you say about me now? Do you really love me here? Or, however, you don't have to be that confrontational. Here I am with God. <laughs> um, it is the perfect moment. It is the perfect moment to encounter the love of God and to hear his voice. But it is scary. Because we're afraid that he'll say, yeah, this I don't love. Right? No, we know. The Word tells us that's not true. The Spirit tells us it's not true. You know? Our heart is just not quite so sure yet. Um, and so you, you need to... <laughs> when you're in that place of feeling like that, you need to overcome the fear by dragging it before God and say, hey, what about this? Um, and like in the book of... Zacharias where Joshua the high priest is being accused before God in dirty rags. Joshua doesn't defend himself. The Lord defends himself in garments and clothes of white. You should have no fear of being dragged before God in your worst moments. It should anticipate the greatest moments of knowing that you're loved and that you're forgiven and that you're being comforted. Comfort comes to those who mourn. How do you mourn? You find something in you that knows things aren't all right, and you cry out, so he shows up. We as Americans, we like distraction. We like to feel better. You know, when someone's having a bad day, what do you do? You try and, make, try and talk them up. Try and make them feel better. Um, but what we need to do, I'm not talking about just mourning death, and so I'm talking about sin and pain and anguish and loneliness and all that kind of stuff. The way that you mourn that is you just cry out to God. Until he shows up. God, what do you say? God, do you see me here? How do you feel about me? Lord, I'm in pain. My three-year-old has taught me probably everything I know about mourning. When I have a boo-boo, I cry, but God picks me up, and then I feel better. Does she want me to tell her the boobie's not bleeding? Does she want me to tell her, hey, it's just all fun. Don't worry about it. No, she wants to be held. So she knows that she's loved. So that her heart that grieves that somehow there's something that did hurt, even if it doesn't hurt right now. Because there's no way that can still hurt. <laughs> Once the anguish that there was pain is, is comforted by being held. Then she's fine. She's off and running. She doesn't even remember the fact that she had a boo-boo. But if you try to make her feel better by telling her it's not that bad, by distracting her, then no, no, she's good at grieving. I have a boo-boo and it's not right in the world. You want to do something about it until you do, I will be upset. God is mourning. Because she understands her role. It's her job to mourn. It's my job to comfort. Do not take over God's job internally. Do not comfort yourself. I'm not saying, don't smoke a cigarette to comfort yourself. I'm not saying, don't involve the explicit sex to be comforting. Don't, don't watch too many people are comforting. Don't even talk to yourself in the terms of comfort. Mourn, cry out to God till he shows up. And he will comfort you. Matthew 5, it is really clear what his role is. All is to mourn, it's his job to comfort. To the degree that you comfort yourself, to the degree that he's not going to. To the degree that you do not mourn, is the degree that he will not comfort you. Okay? Mourning is not a skill, it's an act. You cry out. You make known your heart to God till he responds. How long will it take? I do not have good news for you there. 
it will take as long as it takes for him to show up and comfort you. For some things, it's unbelievably agonizing. That is the scary thing. I can ignore it. I can distract from it. But I start feeling it. I need to know when help is showing up. You will not know. It's abandonment. You have to let it go until he shows up. How long does it take? Israelites cried out for 400 years before God showed up. And I don't think it'll take that long. I really don't. Well, I'm saying in the midst of mourning, you do not need to plan for it to end. If you plan on only doing it for five minutes, you know, and I'm not talking about wailing and screaming the whole time. I'm just talking about, about that issue when you're thinking about that morning before God until he shows up. You mourn until he shows up. That's, I, I, that's what scripture says. Because while you're mourning, you're in your waste place. And while you're in your waste place, he is coming. When you stop mourning, you stop being in your waste place. He will probably show up and you may not be there. The knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? Are you familiar with this passage? I don't think he was talking to the non-Christians. He was talking to the non-Christians, yes. He's talking to the church as well. I believe the Christians are those who follow him. He wasn't saying you're not saved yet. He was saying there's areas that I'm knocking to get into because I want to meet you there. If you're standing outside your waste places waiting for him to show up, you may not see him. Because he's going to your waste places. Because he loves you more than you love yourself. He's not giving up on anything and anywhere at any point at any time. So I just wanted to speak this into. Um, this is where you share. We had a second mic, wasn't it? I love that you started talking about the ecstatic experiences because I think people look at us and that's what they see in the ways that we've walked with God and the experiences we've had. And this community has heard me stand here and say things like I was healed of mental illness in miraculous ways. And you've heard me stand here and speak of strength entering in, in really weak places. And in, in talking about transparency and vulnerability in a way that I believe in those things with everything that is within me. As an outpatient of a psych hospital, the Lord once spoke to me and he said, to the degree that you are willing to be vulnerable is to the degree that I will heal my people through you. And that's been really cool over the last 18 months to two years of sharing this testimony of the Lord coming in and bringing healing and might and strength. Except in being vulnerable and transparent before you, I came in a place of strength because I had been made whole and I had been walking in freedom and it's not that I'm not whole now, and it's not that I'm not walking in freedom. It's that I'm learning about vulnerability and transparency in the weakest of places, where I don't get to come here and flex muscles and say, I can be transparent and vulnerable because this is the story of God. It's, I'm standing in waste places, waiting. 
waiting, fighting to not take comfort in starving myself or gorging myself or taking three, four-hour drives just in a panic to try to get away from the emotion that's coming up. So standing in these waste places, standing in these moments, not knowing how he's going to comfort, not knowing when he's going to comfort, and being wrecked, and feeling weakness in a place where it's humiliating to me, feeling weakness in a place where I feel like I recognized myself over there, but I don't even know what to do with this. I don't even know what to do with this. I'm just waiting, and I'm weak, and I hate it, and I'm trying to entertain myself, and I'm trying to starve myself enough so that I can feel like I'm in control, or gorge myself enough so that the pain would just go away, or drive hours just to, so the emotions will stay maybe in Fort Mill if I drive to Florida. And this is what I've had him say. You can go to the deep, darkest places, and I find you there. If you scale up to the heavens, I'll find you there. In these waste places, he finds us there. He finds us there. And it's hard. It's just hard, people. And as I was sitting there listening to Jim talk, I don't even know what they are, but there's a call on this body to pray because there are some corporate waste places that you've just got to stand in right now and wait for his comfort. I love when Rick says, we don't do pretty church at dwelling place. I stood in pretty churches. I love that about here. Let's be real. Let's be real. Because life out there is hard. And if we don't stand in these waste places, trusting that our God sees us, cares about us, and is willing, capable, and beyond measure able to comfort us there, in those places, in this place, all I know all I know is that I wait for my Lord as his daughter, hurting, but confident of this, that he has begun a good work. He is doing a good work, and he will complete that good work. And there is hopelessness in this room, because you've stood in these waste places for a long time. And maybe you've had moments where there's been a relief here and a relief there, but these waste places and these very real questions are still before the Lord, and there doesn't seem to be resolution. And don't you see, and don't you care, and don't you know, and really, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, and then one more thing, and those questions rage before God. And all I know is standing in this waste place, waiting, is the most real place I have ever stood.
And I'm learning what strength and weakness looks like. I'm learning what it really means to lean on him. I'm learning what it really means to be his daughter. Not the, not the frills and not the real life. This is really what I believe. And you need to be empowered to stand in those waste places and not rush out of them. Because they are transformational in ways that I don't even know the fullness of yet. But I know that, I know, I know that, it's like the Velveteen Rabbit, and it hurts to become real. It hurts to become real. And in the reality of that, there is life. Um, (laughs) We're going to do a little little exercise here to practice. Um, uh, I'm going to show you how to be like the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus said he he, he had... some translations that he must needs go through Samaria. You know what Samaria was? <laughs> they, they, they were they were mixed. They were mixed Jews with a mixed religion. They're not accepted by anybody. The Jews hated them, wish they didn't exist. Would walk around the town to pretend it wasn't even there, the area and the towns inside of it. And Jesus said, "I must go." And when he went there, he met the woman at the well, who had five husbands, was living with the sixth. I believe what she was doing at the well, besides getting water. She was looking for the seventh. Why? Because she didn't yet find a husband that let her know that she was perfectly lost. And she was looking for the seventh husband. And along comes the bride looking for their bridegroom. And he found her at the woman at the well. And she had to go in the middle of the day because I think if she went in the cool of the evening, all the other women would go. They would spit at her because she was a social outcast. And in the, you know, <laughs> that's where Jesus met her. So I, I, I want us to ever stand up. Um, now, I've already told you this is not fun, right? Because um, it's about being real. And, and most descriptions of fun is escaping being real. There are moments in God that are unbelievably fun. Um, and this may lead to great fun. Um, I've been doing this, people, just because it, it helps people. Um, we're we're going to do this with our right hand and our left hand. Um, I, I actually do this. My counseling sessions now. Not that I counsel very often. Um, I do want you to remember. Hold up your right hand. I want you to remember just whatever moment God brings to mind of just the moment, just the moment where you just you you were you knowing that God was with you and He loved you. Okay. But if you do not know Jesus, is it, well, well, we'll talk to you. <laughs> Come forward. We'll talk to you. Um, just even, even, even if you don't even know Jesus is saved, just a moment where I felt there was a God out there that loved you. Just remember that moment, okay? Are you with me? Everybody remembering a moment? Because right. God still loves you now like he did love you then. In fact, he loves you more now than he did you then. But that love, right, that you were feeling, it was real, it's eternal, and it'll last forever, okay? 
This is not remembering the past. This is engaging with a trans-temporal God. And he's still, loving like, he's still loving you like you did then, right? Some of you may have been worshipped early. I don't know. Okay. Got your right hand? Remembering being loved and known by God to some degree? All right. Now, take hold of your left hand. This is going to remind you of Harry Leviticus where there's two goats. But okay. Um, I want you to ask God to bring to memory a waste place that you do not feel comfortable with. Okay? Failure, shame, pain, sin, nakedness, rejection. Shouldn't be too hard to find. <laughs> what you do not want to think about, what you do not want to talk about, and what you do, certainly do not want to feel about. All right? I just, we're not doing some weird mystical exercise, really. I just want you to, you know, <laughs> hold in your left hand your waist place, hold in your right hand the memory of remembering how much God loves you, okay? But he still loves you that way, okay? Now, I want you to put your two hands together. You can do this if you want. Maybe that's what they were doing when people were praying. I don't know. You can do this if you want. Now, I want you to ask God this. What is this love? That's why I like the two hands. I'm going to talk about my hands anyway. What does this love say about this waste place? What does this love say about this waste place? You know, I just sit before God just now. Stand behind him quiet and just, just, just wait for the still quiet voice. If it's loud, it's great. It's just a notion. That's fine. But, you know, I want you right, to ask, God, what does this love say about this waste place? Lord, I do ask you to speak to our hearts, Lord. Bear witness to us, Lord. Spirit, bear witness to your hearts, Lord. Lord, I have faith that you visit these waste places. Even if they do not, Lord, I have faith that you visit these waste places, Lord. Make known to them through thought, through notion, through inspiration, just through an idea, Lord, or through clear words, Lord. What is the love that you've demonstrated them say about the waste place they still feel, Lord? I ask for that, Lord. Alright, this is what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to count to three, and then I want you to say out loud, not your waste place, that's no fun. You can go find something later if you want to share that. that that's, you know. um, not even necessarily describing the moment you felt, or you maybe should still be feeling a feeling love. I want you, when I count to three, to say out loud simultaneously to everybody else in the room what God says this love says about the waste place. Are you with me? All right, so I'm going to say one, two, three, and I'm going to say shout, and I want you to yell out loud what the love says about the waste place. Ready? One, two, three, shout. Love me there. All right. Now, that might have been a right form of reconciliation. You don't have to use your hands. But I like speaking with my hands about this, so, you know, it makes me feel better to see you do it, too. Um, it is hard to remember that he loves you when you're feeling your worst. So you may have to ask him to remind you of his love. You know. But reconciling his heart for you with the waste place is what he does. You need to wait for the waste. Some of you have agony where it will not be a quick thing. I will say this. There is grace for God to deal one issue at a time. Whatever he brings up. Do not go looking for trouble. Do not try and do this. This is not for performance. 
If you're a really good Christian, you will spend the rest of the day doing all this. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when you, what comes to you is something that you'd rather ignore. That is a great moment to take advantage of God visiting you because he's looking to visit you there. All right? Um, so I'm going to speak over you. I'll pray over you. Um, if you want, <laughs> this is stirred up stuff that just is not resolved. Come forward. We'll have some sort of prayer ministry that you may need help with or whatever, but, but we'll get that. And if, and if you barely know the God, you know, that, that, that loves you, that you want to know him more, come forward and we will talk about things that are much greater than your right hand. Um, but when I speak divine comfort into this room, Lord, I speak divine comfort knowing that it will provoke what needs to be more, Lord. I speak divine comfort knowing that it will stir stuff up. I speak perfect love into this room, into the hearts of everybody, knowing it will stir up the, the fear of it. But I speak this into the room, Lord, that your comfort and your love is greater than the waste place. And it is greater than the fear. And it is greater than the loneliness. And it is greater than the agony. It is greater than the rejection. It is greater than the confusion. It is greater than the pain. It is greater than the hopelessness. It is greater than the hatred. It is greater than the anger. Lord, it is greater. I speak that into the heart of your bride, Jesus Christ. And bride, I speak it into your heart that his comfort and his love is greater than anything that you have. And anything that you are feeling. But he wants it all. He is after all of you. He is a bridegroom that is after all of the bride. That means all of you. He will not let you throw it away. He will not let you ignore it. He will not let you stay unredeemed. He is not going to be left over with parts and pieces that aren't used. He is not like some guy who takes something apart and puts it back together again. He's left with three more parts and says, oh well, guess they're not necessary. He does not do that with any part of you. He knows how to use to his glory, to the perfection, the beauty of bride, everything that's in you. And he is after all of it. And I speak what I believe one of the most powerful truths of all scripture. That he will not stop till you're completed, but you will be completed. You will be perfect. If you know him, you will be perfect. The day will come. You cannot avoid it forever. You cannot run from it forever. You cannot hide from it forever. Your perfection is hunting you down to make you perfect and beautiful without any shame. I speak that into you. The confidence of the truth of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, I just declare over his people that they are blessed. That they are blessed. That blessed are those that mourn. And that they are a people who have been comforted. But I speak that this is a people who are blessed because you have mourned and because you are comforted. You are blessed in your mourning and you are blessed in your comfort.